You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Uh, We're going into our next lesson on our series called Better, and we've been focusing on this series, and it's through the book of uh, Leviticus and Hebrews. We are now into Hebrews, and we called it Better because uh, 15 times within the book of Hebrews, it mentions the word better, and um, the idea behind that is that the new covenant is better than the old covenant, and I thank God for... Um, the the explanations of what was given to us through the book of Leviticus and how it's relevant for us uh, in in, uh, 2022. But I'm thankful for the new covenant, which you and I live under tonight. And I'm thankful for what the Lord uh, has done in our lives. And uh, obviously, coming as the Messiah and the salvation for mankind has given us uh, the opportunity to live under uh, a better covenant, and I thank God for the covenant that he has provided. So uh, last week in our lesson, we talked about the superiority of Christ's identity and uh, who Jesus Christ is and how important that is. Um, tonight, we're going to speak about the superiority of Christ's priesthood and um, how beneficial that is to us in 2022 that he is our high priest. The Lord is our high priest, and I thank God for that. And so um, you, can, you can find this passage uh, in the beginning uh, or halfway through or so, uh, the uh, chapter 4 into chapter 5, 6, and 7. Again, we, we cannot go through every verse. Uh, that's impossible for us to do within a short period of time. Um, but we're going to do some highlights tonight. And so uh, chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, to help in time of need. This is a very powerful a uh, couple verses that end uh, chapter 4. And so when we're, we're talking about the superiority of Christ's priesthood, uh, of course we have to go back and what is, what is the priesthood and how, how was it in the beginning. So the Levitical priesthood was central to the Old Covenant. Uh, Christ, uh, uh, of course, is central to the New Covenant. But when you go back to the beginning of the priesthood, it was central to the Old Covenant. And God uh, established that at Mount Sinai with the nation of Israel. And you have basically nine chapters of the Pentateuch which take up the laws concerning the priesthood. So it's, you know, when it entails nine chapters, it's a pretty important facet of of the Bible. And that Mosaic Covenant uh, continued to have uh, uh, throughout thousands of years. And they, sur- they couldn't survive without it. I mean, that was the basis 
of their relationship with God. And so the priests were responsible to administer all affairs relating to the tabernacle and the sacrificial system. Uh, the office of the priest was not open to any Israelite, but actually just to um, the, the tribe of Levi, and uh, who was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And, and you see that through the person of Aaron. And so the writer of Hebrews demonstrates uh, the superiority of Jesus when it comes to the priesthood uh, and Jesus being over uh, or superior to Aaron. Uh, Jesus stood completely apart from the Aaronic priesthood uh, as he was not from the tribe of Levi, but rather from the tribe of Judah. And the priest only came from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus is born actually from the tribe of Judah. So Jesus' priesthood was, um, was patterned not after Aaron, but rather after Melchizedek. And that's an important part of this lesson tonight because the, the being, being um, patterned after the, the, uh, Melchizedek and not Aaron, that, that tells us that obviously Melchizedek was superior to Aaron. And so um, it preceded actually the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Um, Melchizedek lived, was part of, is written about 400 years before the law is given. And this stood prior to and apart from uh, the priesthood that's spoken of in Leviticus. And so since Melchizedek was greater than Aaron, you see that in chapter 7, verse 7, uh, so is actually Jesus being greater than the priesthood of Aaron. So when we're talking about the superiority of Christ, when it comes to priesthood, it goes back to the basis of what the type is of, of Melchizedek. He is a type of Christ. And so uh, we notice that in, in uh, verse 15, when it speaks about in the carnation, the deity of Jesus did um, did not override or obscure or overwhelm his, his humanity just because he was all God didn't remove the fact that he was all man. It's very important to know that because we know him also obviously as all God, but he's also all man. And that's the, the, the power of the incarnation. So why is that important? Because uh, we see that with our weaknesses. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. If, if it wasn't that he was all man, then we would be able to respond with, you don't know how I feel. You don't know what I'm facing with this temptation. You don't know what I'm struggling with. But that's not the case. The Bible's the Bible gives us indication that, um, that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was able to uh, overcome those genuine temptations and not give in to 
the temptation with sin. That's, that's so important to you and I as a Christian today. The high priest under the Mosaic covenant, uh, they were also tempted in all areas, but they did not or were not able to do it without sin. So you have the priesthood. You see that in the life of Aaron. You see that in the life of his sons. Um, they weren't able to do it without sin. They, they couldn't say that they were sinless. The priesthood was sinless under the Mosaic Covenant. They couldn't say that because they had done wrong. But when it comes to Jesus, uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that he was not an high priest that was not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands how you and I feel. He was, he was tempted like you and I are, yet he was able to do it without sin. That tells us that is important information that you and I, even, even though there are times when we make mistakes, we have the ability through our high priest to be able to overcome sin. Now that should be a big amen. Because I'm thankful that because Jesus did it, and we have him living in our lives, in our heart, filled with his spirit. That's what gives us the power and the authority to be able to live above sin. Not within me, not within you, but because Jesus, who was sinless, lives within us, we are able to live above sin. So Jesus' identification in verse 16 with the human race uh, in temptation enables him to be so thoroughly sympathetic with our uh, approach to how our lives are. You see it, he says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The term uh, throne of grace uh, indicates that God who, uh, who sits on the throne is characterized by his grace in relationship to his children or to you and I. So because he is sinless, he sits on the throne, you and I can come boldly. We don't have to sheepishly come in and beg. No, you can come boldly, the Bible says, unto the throne of grace because you're coming to a God that is without sin and you come to his throne and say, I've come here, I'm, listen, I, I'm in need of grace, and I'm in need of mercy. See, the law was given, the Bible says, through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's what John 1 and 17 says. The law was given to us by Moses, but the right that we have to come to the throne room was not given by Moses. It was given by a sinless, uh, uh, almighty God who understands you and I in full humanity that you and I can come to the throne room to receive mercy in time of need. Aren't you thankful tonight that you and I have a, a, an advocate with the Father? We have an advocate with Jesus Christ, hallelujah, that he has already overcome the world. So he steps in on your behalf because he is on the throne. Amen. There is no greater power.
than him. And so this is the understanding of the beginning of him as superior, superior in priesthood. Understanding that he is before Moses. It's before the law. And you and I get to come to his throne because he is sinless. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for the new covenant. We couldn't measure up. You and I could not measure up otherwise if it wasn't for the new covenant. You can't do enough good. You can't do enough things to compensate for the wrong or the sinfulness of our lives have been. We have to, we have to tell it the way it is. Our mistakes, our faults, and our failures, we could not compensate other than the new covenant, which is greater than the old covenant, or better than, thank the Lord for his power in our lives on a regular basis. And then it continues right into chapter 5. It says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Um, before discussing further the high priest of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews explains qualifications or responsibilities uh, of the purely human priests uh, who served in Aaron's lineage. And so what you have in, in the end of, or end of verse 1 and into uh, verse 2 uh, and forward, you have the qualifications of what the priests were to do. You see in verse 1, uh, he addressed their ministry. Um, their empathy was spoken of in verse 2. Their sinfulness is spoken of in verse 3. And their appointment is spoken of in verse 4. So what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, under, under Moses, under Aaron, there were just imperfect people trying to accomplish what the law had given. That, that's, that's what was happening. There was no one perfect that could be chosen. So there was sinfulness uh, of people, but they were appointed to do ministry as the best of their ability under what the law had said uh, was the qualifications of, of, of the priest. And so that's how verse or chapter 5 begins with there's all kinds of people that are just trying to do the work of God, um, do ministry, but there's lots of imperfection. Well, that's really never changed. It's still the same. There's just a bunch of people in here tonight just trying to do the work of the Lord, not because we're perfect, but we're just trying to do ministry for God. We've got our faults and we've got our failures and we make our mistakes, but we're just trying to do our best. That's why it's so powerful that we have an high priest that is perfect. Um, verse 5, So also Christ glorified 
not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. To demonstrate that Jesus Christ was divinely appointed as a high priest, just as Aaron had been, the letter to the Hebrews for the second time quotes, and it goes back to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7. The word Christ here in the Greek is equivalent to Messiah. It requires the incarnation. It requires that, yes, he was going to be all man, but he was also going to be all God. The only way Jesus Christ could function as the great high priest was to identify himself with humanity. That's why he had to come as man. He was already perfect. And the only way he could identify with us is he had to become mankind, humanity, and remain perfect. And because of that, you and I have a blueprint. We have a blueprint that um, the prophecies that have been given in the throughout the scripture that he is able to accomplish in you and I until the day of his appearing. He that hath begun a good work in you is able. That's why he doesn't give up on us. He never forsakes us. He never leaves us. It's not because of our perfection. It's because of our aiming towards perfection. I'm thankful, hallelujah, that he is the example we have. He has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He has experienced uh, uh, everything that we experience, but he did that without making uh, a mistake, without sin. And it's the blueprint for you and I, not that are perfect, but we aim to be like him. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. See, under the law of Moses, the office of a king and priest were separate. The king was of the tribe of Judah, which went through David. And the priesthood was from the tribe of Levi, which went through Aaron. And what you have here is the Lord bringing these two things together. Now, I want you to notice, um, maybe I didn't give you this scripture, uh, Brother Donnie, but maybe you could bring it up. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Matthew, in his writing, um, this is how he starts his book. Um, and it's interesting that he puts, he puts these two things together. I'm just, I'm just going to read this to you. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. So Christ is the Messiah. The son of David, which is the kingship. The son of Abraham, which is the promise. Matthew starts his book in explaining Jesus in three ways. It's not three people. He's explaining him in three ways. He's the Messiah. He's the king. And he is the promise. He ends the book 
or close to the end of the book in explaining Jesus in three ways. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He explains him. And so what's happening is Jesus, uh, when he is after the order of Melchizedek, which is before the priesthood in Leviticus by about 400 years, he's going back to Melchizedek, which was king of Salem. The type that is being given here is he is the king and also the priest. Well, that's, that's an important that's an important point because not only do you want Jesus to be the high priest, you also want him to be your king. And that's why Melchizedek uh, is both, according to Scripture, Genesis 14 and 18, it says he is both a priest and a king. And so when Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, he supersedes the covenant of Aaron. He supersedes the covenant of Moses. He goes back beyond. He is given as an example of Melchizedek, which is both priest and king. That is a very important point in us understanding the superiority of Christ's priesthood. Not only is he your high priest, he's also your king. That's why the scripture is very clear. He is a high priest. Not that he, was, he couldn't feel what you feel. He was. But he's also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Melchizedek brought out, the Bible says, bread and wine when he, when he met Abraham. Um, he brought out bread and wine. You see that in Genesis 14 and 18. His action... Um, was prophetic or a foreshadowing of, of, the, of what we see or use as communion, the body and the blood of, of Jesus Christ. And we, and we see that in the Lord's Supper. He, he's, he's the setup. He's the type of what is being represented by Jesus Christ in our lives. When, when Melchizedek brought that out to Abraham, he brought out both uh, of these items which are a representation of our communion with Christ. Our communion with Christ is greater in the new covenant than it ever was in the old covenant. The connection that you make, since the priesthood is according to the order of Melchizedek, that's what the Bible says, Jesus is priest forever. He's above all, no one compares to him, and that is going to last forever. In his role as the high priest, uh, um, uh, always, the Bible says, uh, he makes intercession for us. What a powerful understanding of your king and priest. He's standing in the gap for you and I. Wow. Okay. A shepherd... A shepherd over the flock is the watchman on the wall. The Bible gives us scripture of the sword. But when you're talking about Jesus Christ and his superiority, he's not just watching on the wall. 
He is your high priest forever who's making intercession for you. He's standing in the gap on your behalf. When you and I should have received the penalty for sin, he stepped it up and said, I will pay it. I will pay the penalty for that sin. And that penalty was death. And so um, the, the power of incarnation of him being uh, all man and also all God uh, has a very important effect on us understanding his superiority. Uh, now, there's, there's scripture. You can, you can see it here in um, chapter 5 and verse 7. Uh, it says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is showing us the, the true humanity of Christ. It's more than just, well, this is a pattern for you and I. That's not the simplicity of this. The, the, the depth of it is he was all humanity. I mean, he was able to feel what you and I feel. And the Bible says that he offered up prayers and supplication with, with uh, strong crying and tears. This is the humanity side of us being able to know that he understands how you and I feel. Because if that wasn't the case, then you would have things happening in your life and you would have, you would have this in the back of your mind. Well, this powerful God that we serve doesn't really truly understand where I'm at. But when you see the writer of Hebrews give an explanation that he's crying with strong crying and tears. He understands the things that you and I face and are up against. And then we are able to grasp that this high priest and king is more than just a person sitting on the throne. He's someone who's walking with you. He's someone who's arm in arm with you. He knows when you feel lost. He knows when you are overwhelmed. He knows when you feel like you don't have an answer. He knows when you are dealing with stress and pain and suffering. He knows when you feel rejection. He knows when the people's closest to you seem to be the ones that have denied or stepped away. He understands all of that. And the scripture gives us the understanding of he, he, he had strong tears and crying that this is not just crocodile tears so you know he cries. Oh, he understands you and I. It's an important part of us grasping the superiority, the superiority of Jesus Christ in our lives. Um, you see, uh, it continue in verse 8, 
Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Sometimes, you know, we, we think, okay, God's perfect, so what was his life like? But you see it all the way to his death. The writer of Hebrews says he learned, he learned uh, by the scripture. Uh, he said he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He went through difficult things in life, and that's actually how he learned obedience. I can't even tell you that I comprehend the significance of that. We're talking about God Almighty, yet he was fully human, and he learned through obedience and the things that he suffered. As you can tell, we could spend many um, lessons on some of these verses just trying to understand. Uh, look at verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The word perfect here is, is translated from the form of uh, teleos, which means to be mature. Jesus was in every way obedient to his call. He successfully resisted all temptation. And he, the Bible says, became the author of eternal salvation to all of us who obey him. The word, tra the word translated author means cause. He became the cause of eternal salvation. He, he was, um, he provided an atonement. He provided a sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice that you and I could uh, obtain eternal salvation if we just simply obeyed him. He's not asking us to do something he already hasn't done. He learned, the Bible says, by obedience. This high priest that you and I serve, he knows how you feel. Sometimes we... We hear that statement and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I, you know, I don't know how. No, the, the scripture gives us example after example. He learned by obedience. If you and I will obey him, we'll get to experience eternal salvation, which he's the cause of. He's the cause of. That's what the scripture says. Verse 10 uh, says, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here again, it's reiterated that he's the author and he's appointed to be the Messiah to fill in as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which, uh, and not that of Aaron. So you're going back again. Uh, so uh, the, the, the reinforcement is being given here that it's not just back to the Levitical priesthood. It's way back beyond that, that he's actually king and priest. And um, there's a lot of discussion that we could have about Melchizedek. Um, and I'll, I'll share a few things tonight about that. But um, it, as you start into chapter 6, picking up, and I'm kind of racing through a little bit here for time's sake, uh, just making sure that we are able to stay within our timeline. The, the writer of Hebrews, um, he picks up from this thought, in chapter 5, and he starts out chapter 6. He says, Therefore, 
leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Now, sometimes when people are reading uh, scriptures like this, it's kind of like, uh, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. He's, he's not talking about abandoning the principles. He's actually talking in the sense that um, we should mature to a level where we don't have to keep having to emphasize on a continued basis some things that should already be set in our mind. And he's given us here um, six uh, things that, are, uh, that we should not abandon, but they should be set in our, in our thinking. Uh, and you see that at the end of chapter, or verse 1. It says, um, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, number two, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. He's saying to us that there should be some things that we already have set in our mind that are written in stone. Repentance should always be part uh, of our thinking. It's never going to get to a place where people don't have to repent. Never going to happen. It's, it's the basis of the turnaround. And that should be a doctrine that we never abandon. But we get it set in stone that we understand it's going to be necessary. In 2022, it still takes repentance. Still takes repentance. It's never going to change. It's still going to take faith towards God. There's not going to be a new recipe that someone comes up with that there's an easier way to get to the throne. Faith towards God is always going to be a principle that cannot be abandoned. Is set there. The doctrine of baptisms. That's all kinds of cleansings. And obviously baptism. Though, though that's, that's set in stone. It's not an option. This is not a cool thing that people just like to get wet. No, it's, it's set in stone. It still takes being buried in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. It's, it's set. Uh, of the laying on of hands. Always going to be part of the doctrine. He goes on to say, and of the resurrection of the dead. The rapture of the church still needs to be preached. This is not some fairy tale that, you know, was talked about however many years ago. And no, no, no. We still need to preach the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's still going to happen. It's something that we shouldn't even get caught up in our minds to debate about. He goes on to talk about the eternal judgment. There's going to be a judgment. Every person is going to stand before God. There's no, there's no uh, well, you know what, if they die at a certain point. No, no, every person is going to stand before God. Ashes cast upon the waters or out on the sea isn't going to stop people from coming together. No, it's, not going to, it's not going to eliminate being before God. It's going to happen. So these, these are principles that the
the writer of Hebrews says, listen, we mature in the fact that these are things already written in stone. And so he's not saying to abandon these things. He's saying that we should have actually matured to a place that we, we've got these well settled. We've got these well settled. They shouldn't be something that is up for debate. Um, the writer of Hebrews linked together all of these matters, identifying them as basically elementary principles that form the foundation of our Christian teaching. Now listen, someone doesn't have knowledge of it, they should learn. But the Bible, and the writer of Hebrews explains it. He says, listen, they're, they're, they should be like milk. They should be like milk. Um, these are things that people, just as a new baby, would intake into their life as a newborn. They're going to take in the milk of the word. Um, these are like milk. But there should come a point in our life when they are settled. Just one amen would be great. We should have them settled. I mean, they, that, that should be, it should be that we mature through these matters that are in our lives. I, 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 um, it, it, it becomes worrisome when people who have been in the church for a long time are still trying to settle the things that are the milk of the word. I'm not talking about new converts. New converts are on milk. But when it comes to people who should have it settled, uh, that becomes worrisome. What does that mean? Well, when you're 10 or 15 years old, the natural, and you're still only using milk, there may be a problem. When mama's still putting you to the bed, at 15 with the bottle, then there may be some deficiency in your growth. Um, now, that doesn't change the fact that we may like milk at an older age, but you can't, you're not going to survive just on milk alone. That ain't going to cut it. You're going to go on to the meat of the word. And so uh, the Bible uh, the, the scripture has given us lots of examples from then on. Um, and you see throughout chapter 6, um, it's time for the church to understand the importance of the high priest, Jesus Christ, who is also your king. And um, I just have a few moments left, so I don't want to eliminate. As you could tell, I was just putting pages through here. And you're probably glad I was able to do that, or you would have been here a long time. I want to jump to um, an important part of this last section uh, that starts in chapter 7, because uh, the letter to the Hebrews moves uh, to kind of the solid food in chapter 7. So I'm thankful for the milk of the word, but there does come a point when that should be settled in our minds and in our spirits. Chapter 7 
he kind of goes into the meat of the word, the solid food that you and I um, depend on, the teaching concerning the, the high priesthood of Christ according to the order of Melchizedek. This teaching uh, shows Christ to be superior to both the law of Moses, which is the Levitical priesthood, and to Abraham, who demonstrated the inferiority to Melchizedek by, the Bible says, by giving him tithes. Abraham wouldn't have paid tithes to Melchizedek if he wasn't superior to Abraham. From the perspective that we wonder why this qualifies, this teaching as solid food, well, it kind of helps us to look at the, the issues from the perspective of the original um, readership of the letter of Hebrews. So the Jewish people, none were greater than Abraham. To the Jewish people, Abraham was, I mean, top notch. He's the father of the nations. He's, he's in charge. And, and, and no covenant could be superior to the covenant that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. So you have to the Jewish people that they viewed Abraham and Moses as the hierarchy. I mean, they are the superior ones that they follow. And yet, the very teaching concerning the superiority of Jesus went above both of them. Chapter 7, verse 1, kind of records Abraham's, and you go back to, um, if you go back to Genesis chapter 14, you'll see it in verses 18 and 20, 18 to 20, where it records Abraham's encounter with Melchizedek. And the, the, the entire episode of Abraham's uh, encounter with Melchizedek is uh, in the three scriptures. And we know nothing else really of Melchizedek in, in the sense that uh, there's some pretty strange things that are talked about in, in his life. There's a great deal of speculation, and I'm not here to do speculation. I can only give you what the scripture says. So there's great speculation about his identity and and, and um, because, of course, statements that are made in chapter 7, verse 3, and verse 8. Uh, and I'm not going to focus on all of that. Some think he was a theophany or manifestation of God or, or uh, even to the point of a pre-incarnated Christ. But I'm just going to give you what the Scripture says. Melchizedek was king of Salem, as the Bible says. And Salem was the ancient name of the city known uh, as Jerusalem. So we know that Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which in modern day is Jerusalem. And the city obviously definitely existed during the time of Abraham. It became the capital city of Israel during David's reign. Melchizedek was a king in the sense that he, uh, in the word, is, he is used in sense of other kings in his time. He was something like a tribunal chiefman. Uh, and so Abraham was able to defeat those kings with, uh, the Bible says, 318 uh, trained servants. A uh, Melchizedek was also a priest of the Most High God. 
it says it may seem strange to think of the priesthood existing prior to the Levitical priesthood or under the law of Moses, but that's what the Bible states, and that's what it says. There was a priesthood prior to the law. Scripture may not record uh, much detail uh, about it, uh, but we do know um, through the existence of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he was also a priest. Uh, so we do know that there was other priests before the Levitical priesthood. There's, there's, there's um, a description given even of Job where he sacrificed on behalf of his children. So we know that there was probably some priesthood or understanding of priesthood before the law that's given at Mount Sinai. So it's not hard for us to understand or accept that Melchizedek was a priest. Was a priest. Uh, Melchizedek, the Bible says, blessed Abraham, indicating his superiority to Abraham. And the, the blessing consisted of these words. Blessed uh, be Abraham of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Um, so we know that Melchizedek had the superiority over Abraham to be able to bless him in the way he did. So with the understanding that he was a priest and he was also the king of Salem, then we can, then we can kind of grasp his, the typology of, of Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek. Now we can get caught up in the idea that the Bible says he had no mother and father. <laughs> That's, that's kind of a, an interesting statement. But really, it's, it's, it's speaking about in the terms of there's no genealogy given. So we don't know the genealogy, which would go back to his mother and father. So there's the significance of some of those things. We could say, well, we get caught up in that. What, what you need and, and what I need to get caught up in is the typology that's given of Jesus Christ as your high priest and king. It's not that Melchizedek uh, was paid a tithe, which that's true, or that the scriptures doesn't speak about his mom and dad. That's true. But it's that he's a type of what the priesthood, the high priesthood, and what the king of kings was going to represent. Now, no typology is perfect. No typology is perfect. You see that through the Old Testament to the New. Because the only perfection is God himself. But you see lots of types in the Old Testament that lead us to or are a shadow of. And that's the order of Melchizedek. And so uh, the name Melchizedek comes from the Hebrew uh, meaning king. And also uh, from the Hebrew uh, meaning righteousness or what we would put together as king of righteousness. Well, who represents the king of righteousness in a more powerful way than Jesus Christ, who is righteousness? When you put on Christ, you put on righteousness. Amen. What a beautiful uh, typology of, of who Jesus is. Uh, Salem is translated from the Hebrew shalom, which means peace. That's making Mel Melchizedek the, the king of peace. 
Well, these names are not just some nice little story. Isaiah writes and says he is the Prince of Peace. Everlasting. Counselor. The Mighty God. I mean, he gives a descriptive tour of who Jesus is. Um, so you go through, and what I've just read to you is at the beginning of chapter 7. You can go into verse 3 upon the basis of this verse. You have to suggest that Melchizedek was an angel or a theophany. That's what some people take from that. Um, without the father and mother. and um, But basically, it's, it's explaining without genealogy. Well, there's, there's um, lots of discussion that could happen about that. The idea is the superiority of Christ's priesthood supersedes Moses, Abraham, or Melchizedek. When you and I grasp, as we talked about last week, who Jesus is, his identity, then you realize who you have living inside of you. When you and I grasp the superiority of his priesthood, then we understand what he paid for you and I in being free. There is nobody, hear me tonight, if you don't hear one other thing and you go home, you say, that was the most confusing lesson pastors ever preached. Hear this last statement, if you would. Because of the superiority of Christ and his priesthood, there should be no one living with Jesus Christ inside who is not free. Because the high priest paid the price for you and I to be free. And you are a child of the king. No one else should be in charge of you but him. So when you're living with the presence of God, his identity, inside of your life, then you should be living in absolute freedom. Anything other than that is not God's will. He's not calling you a bad person. He's not forsaking you. He's not giving up on you. He's not turning you over. He, none of those things. But he wants you and I to be free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. The Lord desires you and I to live in absolute freedom. Oh, I've got to, I've got to close I just started chapter 7. All right. Um, let's, let's kind of bring it to a close here. Um, when, you, when, you, when you grasp how powerful his priesthood is, then you, then you stop trying to earn your way to heaven. There's denominations today that try to make people feel that you have to earn your way. You can't. 
You can't earn your way. He has already paid the price. Does it lead us to good works? Yes, it does. Will there be actions because of? Yes, there will. There will be. And it will lead you and I to good works. If God is truly in our lives the way he should, it will cause us. But you can't do enough good works to earn your way to the throne. He's already paid the price for you and I. You say, well, so-and-so is doing so much more than me. And so, you can't earn your way. You can't buy it. You can't get good enough to get it. It just doesn't work that way. He is your high priest and king. The superiority of Christ's priesthood allows you and I to be free. Under the Levitical law, it just got pushed. It just got pushed. There was no absolute freedom. Once every 50 years, they experienced the year of Jubilee. But let me tell you, you don't have to wait every 50 years any longer. When you come into his presence, you can be free from what enslaves you, what holds you hostage, what binds you. You can be free instantaneously because his superiority of his priesthood is greater than Moses. It's greater than before Abraham. It's greater than Melchizedek. It's just after the order of. God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful congregation and who's watching online or listening tonight. God, I pray that there's a simple explanation that you will put into people's spirit. God, that you, you feel, you feel everything that we feel. God, you, you understand everything that we deal with. And there's some principles, God, that we should just get set in our mind. They're just the milk of the word. God, things that we're not to abandon, but we're to grab a hold of. and We're to move on to even solid things, meat of the word, understanding how powerful your priesthood is. Understanding the significance, God, of you becoming our high priest and our king. And that goes back, way back beyond the covenants of the old. And the new covenant, God, is better than the old covenant. You have allowed, you have allowed each one of us tonight to come into your presence boldly. God, come into your presence, God, to receive mercy. For every one of us to understand, God, that we can be free in you. We can live in absolute freedom because you've paid the price for every one of us. God, as we leave this place tonight, let something go deep into the spirit of every believer. God, that they do not have to be held hostage or at bondage by anything of this world. You are our High priest, thank you, Jesus, that you are superior to every other priest that ever lived. You are our king. You are superior to any other king that has ever lived.
Let your blessing be upon your people, I pray. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions about tonight, I only got to about a tenth of my notes. So if you have any questions about it and would like to ask about it, then we'll try our best to, to try to help you out. Um, when I teach the lesson at Bible college, I had three hours. So it's kind of a little bit different uh, than um, trying to put it into one lesson here on a Wednesday night. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.